time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, the Extra Innings Podcast is back. Uh, I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail, but first one since before the break, Larry went to the All-Star Game. And then I went back to Montana for the break, and then also had a wedding. Larry was gone on vacation next week, so we had a little delay. But no better time to bring it back than right now when the Mariners have closed the gap to one and a half games in the wild card race. Uh, they're going into the trade deadline as buyers, not sellers. And so I figured we better do a podcast. So Larry will be on this one. We'll talk about all the things you want to talk about trade deadline, buy and selling, all the stuff. And then I'll also include audio of Kyle Seeger, Scott Service, just after the game on uh, Sunday, after they beat the A's to take three of four, just their thoughts on some of the stuff uh, moving forward as well. So um, and I'm also going to include the pregame today where Scott talks a little bit more about um, this team and adding and, and the idea of adding more pieces to it. So let's start the show. Extra Innings Podcast is back. Uh, oh, man. It's been a while, Larry. And in, in that while, I apparently am covering a team that is uh, playoff caliber. Who'd have thunk it? Here we are. July 26th, one and a half games out of a playoff berth. That's, uh, that's whether you believe in it or not, that's real. Uh, that, <laughs> the standings are real. And, and so you have to act accordingly. Yeah, run differential or not, um, luck yeah. factor or not, one run luck. I mean, you are what your record is right now. I don't know who said that. Yeah. Is that Herm Edwards? Um, you are. You know, yeah. No, uh, I, actually, it was Bill, Bar- Bill Parcells who said you are what your record is. Yeah, you are what your record is. And so, and yeah. I mean, their record is they're one and a half games out of the uh, – um, they're one and a half games out of the, the second wild card. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was I was uh, I was studying the standings a few minutes ago, and I, I was looking at one uh, page that had expected one loss record, and for the Mariners it was ten games under five hundred yeah. with a run differential of minus fifty four. But that doesn't mean anything. They're eight games over, and that that that's well, you know no matter how they're doing it, I guess you can use it as indicative that it may not last. But I think we've been waiting all year for for or reality to hit. And at some point you just got to believe what you see. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's like one of those diets. I keep waiting, you know, all year to see if I'm going to lose weight. And then the reality is I'm not. So I think that's um, a bad analogy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Larry, uh, when we got to this weekend and I know you're down visiting your dad in the, the Bay area and your sister in Oregon, but Going into this homestand, did you think that they would win three out of four from the A's? I, I thought they'd at least split. The way they were playing, they seemed to be on a pretty good groove. They were at home. Uh, I, I figured it was going to be a split. I didn't expect three out of four. I mean, and, and I could also imagine the scenario where, they, where reality hit and they lost three out of four, got swept, and then it's, you know, sell. 
sell time at the trade deadline. But uh, I mean, the way they won those games with the wild pitches and the, and it was the A's who kind of self-destructed, not the, not the Mariners. And, you know, what we're used to over the years is when it gets to a, to a, a crunch series where that will determine, you know, their playoff contending fate over the years, they've invariably tanked those games and here it was the opposite. So that was impressive. Yeah. I mean, like I, I just kind of looked at it like, you know, I, I, I thought two out of two would be good. I honestly, I thought they would go two and two against the angel or the A's and then maybe one and two against the Astros. And then, yeah. you know, then they would have been in kind of a real conundrum. They'd have been about what, four and a half, five games back. Yeah. And then like, what do you do then? You know, I thought Jerry DePoto would be in that weird kind of nebulous space um, and maybe start dumping relievers. Uh, and so then I like, and, you know, I saw several pro scouts uh, at that series against Oakland there just to see the, the relievers, to see Paul Seawall, to see Kendall yeah. Graver, and to see Drew Steckenrider, to see JT Chagois, even Eric Swanson, you know, thinking, you know, like, cause that's the player that's moved the most at the, the trade deadline as a reliever. And so that's who I, you know, I mean, I, I thought that's if the Mariners were in that position, they would ultimately move those guys and Luis Torrens, who I, uh, I was told from a couple of sources, the Mariners have received probably a dozen calls on because again, hmm. backup, backup catching, even if it's not very good catching is still coveted. And also yeah. like, it's no coincidence that Luis Torrens was playing first base this week either. I mean, like, yeah, they needed yeah. his bat in the lineup. They need to find a way, but that, that wasn't it. Like they showcasing him. I, I still think even now when we'll get to the gopher mode, they could still trade him because it's like a fungible fringe guy. I know he's hitting, but maybe this is as good as he's ever going to get. And his value is going to be highest. And if you, and if you have to package him to get a starting pitcher, you got to do it. Uh, so no, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm stunned. Honestly, and so now here we sit. Um, they got to, like, go for it, don't they? I think they do. I mean, you alluded to it, but the, the worst place you want to be in is kind of no man's land, which is where the Mariners usually are. They're five games out, you know, five games out of a wild card or six games out where, you know, it's too close to just say we're not going to do it because you could get hot and something could happen. But realistically, you're probably not going to. But one and a half games is different. That's I mean, there's, there's no team between. And the other thing is when you're six out, there's usually five or six teams that you have to over, overtake, and that's hard to do. The Mariners have no teams they have to overtake in front of them other than the A's right now. They've passed the Indians. They've passed the Blue Jays. They've passed the Yankees. Um, so it's just one it's, – it's right there for them. So that's a really favorable position to be. And I think you also have to weigh in uh, – you don't want to do anything reckless that that, that – uh, derails the grand scheme, the, the big plan, but you also have to weigh the 20 years without a playoff berth. I think that, I think as an organization, you have to be aware of ending that. And just so that the narrative changes from, Oh, this team is the longest playoff drought in professional sports. It's now been two decades, et cetera, et cetera. Even if it's just a one game wild card, it turns out, to be your your playoff experience so i think that that weighs in too i mean you know the debate over trading hanniger just imagine the fallout if now you traded mitch hanniger at a point where you're so close to to a wild card berth that would just be uh i think so you'd lose the clubhouse there's a lot you know you had the, the quotes from 
from Kyle Seeger about uh, that, which I think were very telling about, you know, he's the, he's the veteran, the, the rank, ranking veteran on the team talking about it's time to go for it and, sh- and show faith in the team. And what faith would that show if you traded Mitch Haniger? Now the bullpen pieces are a little more interesting, a little tougher decisions because you're right. That that's what, that's what teams want at this point. You win in the playoffs with, with, with depth, with bullpen depth and guys like the Mariners have are going to be coveted pieces. And maybe you can get a lot more than you're expecting, but then you're weakening your own bullpen. So it's, that's going to be a tough call for Jerry DePoto. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I can't imagine they're just going to, um, you know, sell any of the pieces. I mean, like you can move maybe one to like, if you have to, to move one or something like that to get, what you need then yeah do it and and yeah the, 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 there's a responsibility to the rebuild but there's a responsibility to your fan base you know you have um you know it's not a moral but it's it's an obligation to mm-hmm. to to be good and for a couple of years you've asked this fan base to watch a subpar product now you're putting out a product that whether you believe in you know whether one different one differential luck like we've talked about whether you believe it or not they're right there and this doesn't happen all the time. Like, let's let's be honest. It doesn't happen. So you have to take advantage of it. I mean, I just I just don't see how you couldn't. And I don't know how you could look your players like J.P. Crawford and guys you're asking to be part of this going forward to believe in you as an ownership group if you don't do something right now. And this can't be this crap that they did a couple years ago in 2018 where they get Zach Duke and Adam Warren and Cameron Mayfield because they didn't want to yeah. spend money and add on contracts. You know, that's that had Kevin Mather fingerprints all over. Let's not add contracts, but find a way to work within the margins to add these guys. And so, yeah. you know, and then like, you know, you knew you were getting caught by the A's. You knew you were getting caught. Like you got to do something to, to reestablish and get back into it. Now it's like the Mariners are chasing and the A's are probably thinking, okay, this is a reverse of 2018. There's this team coming up on us. We're going to go get a reliever and we're going to go get a bat. I mean, they were in the Nelson Cruz thing for a long time. They're going to go, you know, the A's are going to upgrade. It'll be creative, but they're going to upgrade. Uh, and the Mariners have to follow suit. I, I, like I said, it, it reminds me, remember when Strasburg was hurt that one year and there was the big debate about whether they should pitch him in the postseason or not out of caution. Right. And they were like, well, you know, but there's next year. Well, they didn't get back the next year and they didn't get back yeah. the year after that. Like there's no guarantee. And it's something we'll get into discussing, but like the anomaly of this in this year is that, you know, and Jerry DePoto always talked about, oh, we're going to be competitive by the end of this season. It's not any really of the, the main pieces of the rebuild that have made this team competitive on a lot of levels. You know, Kyle Lewis, Evan White, Justice Sheffield, Justin Dunn have had no influence on the season on a positive yeah. aspect. It's been from the bullpen. You know, and I guess you can say Logan Gilbert. But, I mean, even going into the season, they didn't know whether Kikuchi was going to – they were going to extend Kikuchi or not. I mean, by all everything we'd seen in the past few years, like giving him that – exercising that four-year option seemed like an automatic no. You know, and Marco has not been very good. So, like, yeah, you're here and you should go because there's nothing that says that this is going to happen again next year because so many things have had to go right this year to make it happen. So I just don't think you can ignore whatever the circumstances that got you here. You're here and now you have to try and push forward. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing when you the guys you just listed off to keep pieces in the rebuild and you can throw Jared Kelnick in there. Yeah you know, 130 at bats into his career hitting 101 or 102 or whatever it is he's hitting. 
So they've gotten virtually no production from him either. You know, Lewis, who knows if he'll be back this year. Um, White's out for the year. It's amazing, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I don't know if that bodes well for the future or <laughs> bodes poorly for the future. I mean, you got to figure that some, those guys are still, you know, they're rated as highly as they were for a reason. I don't think you expect, uh, you know, Jared Kelnick to struggle forever. Eventually he's going to come out of this and, and they'll have the piece that they expected. And they got all this other stuff. I mean, really, you got to give Jerry DePoto tremendous credit for building this bullpen out of what were basically retreads and pit parts that, you know, Chargois and Steckenreiter and Seawald. I mean, where did those guys come from? You know, they're guys that, that no one wanted basically. And they've been, exceptional uh so and i think depoto recognizes what you said the 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 imperative to to go for it i mean by all counts he was in on frazier who ended up going to the the second baseman from the pirates all-star second baseman ended up going to the padres uh there's reports now about Whit merrifield i know he's a he's a legit player all-star uh uh, I mean, he's a guy that would really help this team. I, I think he's a perfect guy to go get. Now, the, what, what the class would be, we, can, we could talk about. But uh, they, need, they need guys who, you know, uh, right-handed bats who are contact hitters, who put the ball in play, uh, control the zone, all that stuff. And, you know, Whit Merrifield is, is a plus war uh, player who would i think would be perfect for this team yeah i mean well Rider and seawald and those guys they came from the island of misfit arms and minor yeah. league contracts i mean that's it is amazing and, and like you know it's not you know i mean they could do it it's hard to say that it's going to be replicated it, you know so much of this i think reminds me of the 2016 team where they had that bullpen that stayed together and they picked up Joe Bimel at the last minute and they, they had uh, Brandon Maurer in there and, and Wilhelmson and they were just so good. And so even like yeah. your funky cold Medina, I think was on that team. And like, he was good. Like they just had, and it all came together. And then the next year, the same guys went out and stunk. So it's like, yeah, yeah you know, bullpens are so just hyper reactive. Like you gotta, you gotta maximize this, ride it out, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, like, so Jerry DePoto said that they want a right-handed hitting uh, infielder and then a um, and a starting pitcher. Obviously, they got to have a starting pitcher. I mean, like you know, they're yeah. um, they're they don't have that guy. And Justice Sheffield isn't coming back anytime soon. Justin Dunn isn't coming back anytime soon. And they weren't great to begin with. And now you know they're going with um, Darren McCacken, who honestly, if if Hector Santiago's suspension ends a day earlier. You know, Santiago's probably making that start. But um, I, I think the Merrifield thing is interesting. I don't know that the Royals really want to trade him. Um, yeah. Because he's, like, beloved in that city. You know, he's, like, been there. And they have a young and up-and-coming team. And I think you want to have Whit Merrifield when Bobby Whit Jr. comes up and some of those guys to show them how to, to be. But, like, if you're from a Mariner standpoint, he fits in. He's a right-handed hitting second baseman. You're right. High contact skills. Runs the bases. You know he's got 25 mm-hmm. steals, and this is a team that likes to push. Um, yeah. Solid defensively. Uh, it allows Dylan Moore to go back to being a, a, a role player or a utility player. You can use him in the outfield. Use him as a pinch runner, which we saw the other night. How much that influences the game. And 
And also because he's older and you have him for two more years at unbelievably affordable prices. Um, when Kyle Seeger leaves after this year and presumably, and I still think this could happen, they could trade Mitch Hanniger in the off season. You have a leadership type of, you have a leader type of guy for another young clubhouse. You know, you have yeah. Merrifield and JP Crawford there to help lead this young group. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's a no brainer. Now, what is the cost going to be? Like honestly too, like Adam Fraser is a nice player. And he's having kind of a an up year compared to what his career numbers are. Merrifield's having a little bit of a down year, but I think I'd like the guy that's got the career ninety two batting at two ninety two batting average and the career mm -hmm. career three sixty five on base for over like eight years versus the guy that's having the three thirty batting average who'd been a two eighty hitter most of the time. Yeah, and I mean for all the reasons that you just listed, uh, he's going to come with a high price tag. Oh yeah. I, you know, fans who think you could just get him for maybe some fringe prospects. Think of it. Think of the Mariners had Merrifield that they were trying to trade. They'd expect a blue chipper. I mean, a guy like Merrifield, you'd want a uh, you'd want a Julio Rodriguez or a, or a, or a Marte or somebody like that. Mariners aren't going to give those guys up, but I'm sure that's what the Royals are seeking. And they probably would go to the next rung below that. It's it's probably going to take a Kirby or a Hancock or somebody like that uh, to, to get this done. Yeah, I mean, you got to give them something to trade away their most popular player, their arguably their best player. Uh, I think they would they'll trade them because they don't think they're they realize that they're not going to be good for a couple of years. They're in they're in an earlier into a rebuild mold. And so a 32-year-old second baseman who would be 34, 35 when they think they can realistically contend doesn't make sense. So you, so you get what you can for them now, but uh, they're going to want to jumpstart their rebuild with, with two or three really good prospects, and that's going to be a tough call. Uh, Poto has said he's not going to get rental players, but this wouldn't be a rental player. As you said, he signed... He's signed through next year, and then he has an option, a very reasonable option for 2023, which if he probably exercise if he doesn't get hurt or something. So you have him for two more years beyond this year. So uh, I think that would justify giving away one of their lower-level pitching prospects and then another uh, good but not, you know, not, not Julio good prospect. Yeah, I think, like, the Mariners, they may try and go quantity over quality. Yeah. Like they'll try and avoid Julio and, and obviously mm -hmm. Hancock and Kirby are both not actually pitching right now because of shoulder fatigue, which I don't know if that trades their market. You know, Noel V. Marte is interesting in that regard. Um, um, you know, like he, who he is and how far away he is. But yeah, like do, would they trade – Maybe um, Connor Phillips, the the young kid that throws 97. Or, you know, would you trade Brandon Williamson, who is from the Kansas City area, lefty, who's double A. You know, he's rated very – he's starting to push up the rankings a little bit. Um, you know, would you trade – like maybe you do that. Maybe you throw Trammell and Brandon Williamson yeah. and, you know, um, a couple lower-level guys. It's whether it's uh, – um, it's um, – Oh, I'm sorry. My computer wants to update. We can't have that happen. Um, How about somebody like Juan Finn, who, who's been traded? Oh, like yeah. Trammell, he's been traded a couple of times already, but has tremendous upside. Yeah. Um, 
and would intrigue a team that thinks that, you know, one of these days he's going to harness that. Uh, like I, I would feel sorry for Tremel if he was traded again. It would be his fourth organization. You know, such a great guy, has such tremendous talent, but it's obvious he's not ready right now. But I, every team thinks he's they're going to unlock it and be there, wants to be there when he figures it out. I think he would be uh, a perfect guy to throw in a trade like this. Yeah, I think that he was the guy like when the Mariners were trying to get Frazier. They had a similar package to what um, – San Diego. I think it was two or three, at least from my sources. And I think Tramel was one of the guys that they mentioned that they would move. You know, I don't know that maybe Pittsburgh, if you look at it, they have some outfielders. So they, I know, you know, they, it just kind of depends. I like, you never know with what, like other teams view prospects differently, you know, like yeah. from my sources said they felt it was a comparable deal, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I, I mean, like I basically, basically, I'd be willing to go like anybody if I'm Depoto, I'd be willing to go anybody that isn't Hancock, Kirby, Rodriguez, or Marte. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that next rung down, if it's Brandon Williamson, if it's Levi Stout, you know, like maybe you do that. I mean, like they have so many starting pitchers. I, I talked to a scout uh, from the Rays who knows pitching and he believes that like there was five starters on that Everett staff, you know, that, that, you know, Levi Stout and Matt Brash mm-hmm. and all these guys are big league guys eventually. So, you know, you can, you know, you can make that work. You're going to have to give up something, you know? Yeah. And maybe, you know, even maybe if it's, you know, you give up Shed Long plus Tramel and somebody else. I mean, you have that guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, like in a lot of ways, Shed Long becomes expendable if you add Whit Merrifield and you have Dylan Moore, who's a better, you know, overall um, utility player. So I, I don't know. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, it's so much with these trades. It's like, everybody says, oh, no, well, we'll just send them these four guys. Like, GMs aren't the drunk guy in your fantasy league making <laughs> trades at 1 a.m. that you can kind of, yeah. you know, send four guys. And then, oh, yeah, this seems like a good deal. Like, they they have scouting and they have layers to this so you don't make those mistakes. You don't make the the Jason mm-hmm. Veritek and Derek Lowe for Heathcliff Slocum. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't do that now. There's much more layers to doing that. And it's also a testament to the depth of the farm system that they've built. I mean, just think five years ago, they didn't have that array of prospects that you could dip into. That's We've talked about it many times before. You don't build a farm system just to supply your major league team. You build a farm system for this occurrence, which is trade bait, trade fodder. And so, uh, you know, look at the Padres. I mean, they they see have a seemingly endless supply of prospects that they keep trading to get established major leaguers. Yeah, um, and yeah. The, yeah I mean, that's like, you're right. Like, the, it, like people, I think sometimes think that like the whole rebuild situation about uh, building of your farm system is all these guys are going to be on your roster. No, that's not what you get it for. You need the depth. I mean, like because they're they're they're, they're unpredictable prospects are unpredictable so you're better off trading for established guys when you can instead of just hoping like all these guys pan out at once because i think we've seen like the transition from the big leagues or from triple a to the big leagues is not simple and there is a lax period for the players to adjust and so yeah i i'm all for like if if i'm a you know i'm not a maris fan but if i'm a as somebody who's looking at it from a pragmatic view they got to do something you know from what it sounds like too though the starting pitching thing is going to cost them something as well because there's so few starting yeah. pitchers out there and it's just so difficult to to access that you know and then teams are 
very hesitant because of the injuries to starting pitching this year. What would you think about getting a rental pitcher if it didn't cost you, if it just cost you a fringe prospect and money to pay the money and money to get, uh, I don't know what the list is in front. I don't have it in front of like a J J a hab, not him, not him specifically, but that kind of guy who's at the end of his contract, a useful veteran, uh, you know, you, you give up a mid-level prospect that's not going to harm your rebuild in any way. I I think that that would be, uh, okay in a situation like this where you need that fifth starter right now. Uh, and, um, you know, you, you, yeah, you're thinking long-term, but you also have to think wild card race right now. And if you can't get anybody who's got uh, club control beyond this year, I think it's okay to, to, to get a rental guy with, with, if you don't have to give up too much in, in uh, talent. No, I agree completely because it's like, just do it because you got to have a fifth starter. You just can't keep rolling out this, this way. You know, I mean, unless you, I, I, I don't think they really want to do that and convert Santiago to be in your fifth starter. I just, and I don't think that's what they'd prefer to do. If you can get a guy that's established and, and just go from there. And, you know, I was having beers with Mike Curto last night and we kind of talked about it, but the Mariners, you know, remember two years ago, I think it was, or three years ago when they, they had like Chris Heston and Christian Bergman and they had all those yeah. experienced guys at AAA that they could just bring up to make a spot start. And no, they weren't great per se, but they were real guys. You didn't have to do a bullpen start. And, and they don't, they didn't do that this year. I mean, they only had two starters at AAA when they started the season, the rest yeah. of the leavers, you know, and, and I wonder if maybe the way they treated a lot of those guys, you know, DFAing and bouncing them back and forth, that maybe if you're a free agent veteran pitcher, you don't sign with the Mariners because, like, I'm not going to do this, you know. Uh, and, and, the, and the injuries and such were so um, un- yeah. unexpected, but they, they got to have somebody. You, you know, yeah. if it's replacement level, that's fine for now. Like, if you believe you can just get, piece it together with replacement level until Sheffield or Dunn comes back in a month, then do it, but they, they don't have anybody and, and it'd be irresponsible probably to call up Brandon Williamson and make him do it, you know, or that McKinney guy. I mean, I just, they're not ready for that. But what happens if, uh, what if McCacken goes out tonight and throws six really strong innings coming off a game where he's in Coors field when five innings, what do you give up one hit or, yeah. or uh, what if he puts two games like that back to back? Does that make you think that maybe they could, they could go with him uh, over, over getting giving up aspects to get somebody uh, for the for the stretch drive. I mean, he's you, a, he's a right hand, He's a right-handed command pitcher that tops out at ninety. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I mean, he's basically kind of Jerry Depoto. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I mean, you don't, but you don't want to. I mean, you can't be reactionary to two starts. You you have to know yeah. you have to know who your guys are and have self scouted enough to know whether or not that this is sustainable or isn't or it's a one off. You know. I mean, like he didn't strike anybody out in those five innings, you know, yeah. and there are some hard hit balls. I mean, like, that's another thing is like, do you, can you really expect this kid to go through every fifth day in the American league, you know, the gauntlet. And that, I just don't know that you want to try and do that. I mean, no, I agree with you. I've just thrown that, that scenario out there. Um, but I agree. You want somebody who's been through, you know, has got a proven track record, maybe some, some, postseason experience, Penerate experience, who you know would stay cool. And when you're playing in September in a must-win game in Oakland in September, um, so, uh, I don't know if 
if you believe in McEachin to that extent. Would you do the, would you throw a fringe level prospect for Michael Pineda? He's going to be available. He's I, heard a I, lot. I saw his name. He's yeah. Heard a lot, I saw but... that name. I saw, I saw that name out there. I, I, that would intrigue me. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, when he's healthy, he's still pretty good. I mean, maybe, maybe you have to look at that because you don't have access to the guy that you're going to have control for next year. You know, I, and another thing you have to, they have to monitor is the usage of Logan Gilbert. Now, granted his two inning start the other day, kind of his overall innings count. But I mean, like, you know, they were so cognizant of that and wanted him to pitch meaningful games. They may have to skip him once or slide somebody in or do something so that they, you know, the overall doesn't, you know, get him hurt, you know, and then, and there's nothing to say that you couldn't run into another pitching injury down the road. I mean, they've got to get another starter. You know, I just don't see how they can't. I mean, it's amazing how the depth that they had has just disappeared. You know, Paxton yeah. and Newsom and Margavishitz Mar- 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 and uh, <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. I was afraid. I was hoping I wouldn't have to ever say that name again this year. But, yeah. You know, in Sheffield and Dunn, you you had. I'm sure to Depoto's mind, he had the depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just it just slowly disappeared. Uh, I. I think that they expect at some point they'll have done in Sheffield back, right? Oh, I does that think factor so, into, I mean, does yeah. that factor in? It's not I like mean, Sheffield was any great guns anyway. No, exactly. I mean, Sheffield is, you know, he's getting ready to, um, he's getting ready to throw off a mound again, but yeah, he's, he's, yeah. I mean, I guess he's better than what you have, but again, he was so unpredictable. So I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just don't know that they have to address those two needs. I mean, you know, somebody's like, well, you know, you don't want to, you're not asking him to acquire like a star. You're just asking him to require somebody that's capable, you know, like, you know, the, the, the pieces that they're trying to add aren't, they shouldn't cost them a ton in prospect capital, you know, maybe the starting pitcher, depending on which ones you're trying to access. But again, God, I sound like such a a baseball dark, the prospects you're trying to access. Well, and sometimes you, you just never know at the trade deadline who's going to catch fire. Sometimes it's the under-the-radar guys. Uh, Marco Scudero a few years ago yeah. came to the Giants and ended up hitting 360 after the trade deadline and led him to the playoffs just yeah. out of nowhere. There was nothing to lead you to believe that, that, was gonna, that he was going to be a key impact guy, but he was the key guy. If, he was the best of any trade deadline acquisition, and it was just a, a deal that probably got – paragraphs in newspapers it was a nothing trade and you, you know sometimes that happens um well it's it's kind of crazy too like yeah i mean and they the the addition of an infield i think is just a must i mean like you know dylan moore just has not produced from an offensive standpoint and really shed for the moments he's had hasn't been that consistent yeah. so and he's just I just think that it addresses a need that helps you down the road. I mean, like if they're, you don't necessarily know what you're going to have next year. I mean, I don't think that they're going in and next year thinking Dylan Moore is their starting second baseman. I just don't think no. that happen. I looked up just before we started their, their, their second baseman this year cumulatively are hitting 198, and that's the worst in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a glaring need. And right there, there doesn't really – I mean, the job was there to be won by either Shed Long or Dylan Moore long-term, and neither has seized it. And I think now you have to look and, and think that they need other solutions. That's why, you know, Marcus Simeon on the free agent market uh, seems was so appealing. To, I mean, we both tweeted about it. 
yeah. that he'd be the perfect guy in the offseason. And if you get Merrifield, then you don't uh, then you don't go after a Simeon. No, you can turn your you can turn your sights to maybe a third baseman or something instead, or you yeah. know, I, I mean, you know, they, I mean, or an outfielder. I mean, say what you want. Like if they move Hanniger in the offseason, they'll have an outfield yeah. opening. They don't have a true center fielder. I mean, I'm Kelnick plays yeah. a nice center field. He's not a true center fielder. No, oh. and uh, and a, and you also could go after a top of the rotation starter too. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, because. You, you, you're going to have to spend some money this offseason. And if you take short, if you take infield out of the equation, you've got, you, you can throw it at other positions, including pitching. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like, <laughs> like inside baseball, I wrote this whole mailbag the other day about based on a question of like who is most likely to be traded. Well, now I don't have that anymore, you know, and I have, yeah. got some reporting, like I, you know, like with the Hanniger thing, that's how desperate the Mariners were for middle infield help though. But like when they were shopping Hanniger and a lot of, I talked to three different uh, sources with other teams that said that like the ask was so high for a guy that's basically mm-hmm. a one year, one and a half year player um, and given his injury history. And so like, you know, like the Mariners, when they contacted the Rays, they were looking for one of those, you know, the Rays seem to have a bunch of middle infield prospects that are basically big league ready. So like, you know, yeah. they wanted one for one, like Vidal Bruin or Taylor walls or these guys. And like, the Rays are kind of like, no, I don't think we're going to do that. You know? Cause I, I mean like the Rays, even if after adding Cruz, I think they wanted to add, you know, they would still add Hanniger. I mean, like you're, you're trying to compete in the arms race, you know, and if he fits that kind of deal. Um, and then like, you know, and then the stuff about Terenz being so asked about because, like, again, people need backup catching. He's hitting, and the fact that he can play first base makes him attractive to a National League team. Um, you know, I don't know. It's like they, they have these needs, and these needs are going to be there next year. But, like, like, getting back to what we were talking about, you know, the, the rebuild and everything, regardless of the season's success, do you – I mean, like, that doesn't mean the rebuild is success right now. Right. Because like, again, like we're going to take Seager off the roster this year. You're going to take yeah. Graveman, Seawald, Steckenrider and Chaguar all one year deals. They're all gone yeah. next year too. Cause they're going to try and capitalize on this. And then you, you have Kikuchi back. You have Gilbert. Yeah. We don't know what Marco is. You have the other two pitchers. You still don't have a second baseman. You don't have a third baseman. I mean, you know, yeah. Do you really know what Fraley is? Do you really know what Kelnick is? Julio's probably mid-season call-up next year. I mean, like, it's not like to sit there and say, oh, the rebuild's done. It's not done because we haven't proven anything. Mm -hmm. You don't know where Lewis is at, and you don't know where White is. Right. Yeah, no, I I wrote basically that column about a month ago saying that the, the, the touchstone pieces you were looking at for this year were Lewis and White and Kelnick, and, you know, you can't be you, you, you can't be sure about any of them. I mean, I still believe in Kelnick uh, and I believe in Lewis, but I'm just worried about his health. And I'm not sure if White is going to be, you know, what, what, how do you go into next year with what, looking at what at Evan White when he's barely played this year, the serious injury. And when he did play, he didn't hit and he didn't hit last year. He's never in two seasons. He hasn't shown he can hit major league pitching. Do you, I mean, he was going to be a cornerstone piece of this rebuild. They gave him that contract before he had even reached Triple A. So, uh, do you do you still pencil him in as the first baseman if he's healthy going into the season? I don't know if you can. 
So there are a lot of questions, but rebuilds aren't, <laughs> how many times have we heard this? They're not linear. No, uh, you know, uh, even the Astros had, uh, you know, who ended up winning a World Series at, at the end of their rebuild, you know, with a little bit of help, <laughs> a little yeah. bit of trash can help. But, you know, they blew some number one picks, one uh, Hell and Brady um, Aiken. And Aiken, yeah. And, uh, you know, you just, but sometimes somebody else emerges, uh, you, you know, that, that you didn't expect. And I think the Mariners are having that happen. And, you know, Ty France looks like he's going to be a key player for them. Uh, and so it is the, the rebuild is in a tenuous position, but uh, yeah, I think you could, if Kelnick, that things can really turn around if Kelnick turns into the star that everyone thinks he's going to be. And then you get a, and then you get Julio the same and suddenly you have two you know, star caliber players that are going to be in your, in your lineup next year, along with Gilbert, who's shown that he has star capability. And then you got the pitchers coming. So I still think it's in a pretty good position. No, I, I still think it's better than it was. Like they have established talent, you know, whether it's proven yeah. or not, it's, it's talent. Um, it's better than it was before, but like, and also like the whole timeline of it all. I mean, yeah, Julio, you expect to be, you know, he'll probably start the season at AAA next year, and then he'll probably, you know, he's going to try and make the club, but they're not, you know, service time. They're not going to let him make the club. I mean, like honestly, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I'm almost certain they're probably going to try and get him to a deal next year before he even starts AAA. I don't know whether he'll do it or not, um, but yeah, I mean, he'll be at AAA. He'll be up by, you know, we would think by June first or July first, but like the pitchers, they're not. They're not coming yeah. anytime soon. And like no. even Noel V. Marte, I've heard that they, they're probably just going to leave Noel V. Marte at low A this year because mm. he's so young. He's one of the youngest players. I think he's only 18. And then like, so people think, oh yeah, Noel V. Marte, he'll be up here soon. No, I, I don't think so. I mean, like, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to be very cautious. And I think what happened with Kelnick on some level has, has made them a little bit more cautious because Kelnick seems so advanced and so like, hyper advanced for everybody. And then, you know what, you get exposed and you don't want it to have negative repercussions. Well, look at, look at Wander Franco. He's yeah. hitting 200. He's, he was going to be, he's been the number one prospect in every list. Uh, a can't miss superstar. Yeah. You know, Joe Adele was a top three prospect who bombed out last year with the angels and is stuck in triple a this year without a sniff of the majors. Um, it's, it's, he just disappeared. I don't know what happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, on my screen there, oh, there you go it's the sun it's oh, Vidal, okay. and then like that vidal Bruin guy one of their the rays other top he's like their number two he he's already been yeah. sent back down right so yeah it's it, it's you it's not often it, it happens with with uh it, it happened with um you know acuna and guys like that who just hit the ground and were superstars pretty much off right from the off the bat but most of the time it it takes some uh, some some learning on the job, which we're seeing with with uh, Kelnick. So um, I can't remember what. <laughs> well, we're just saying like the timeline of when these these other prospects, like you know the the Martes and Hancock, Kirby, they're they're down the road. This is twenty twenty three. We're talking. Oh, about. I know what I was going to say. You made you made a great point in a tweet, which I don't know if I've ever said that before, but uh, <laughs> about how losing the minor league season uh, really hurt the progress of those young pitchers. And it's extending to this year because they don't want to push them. You know, they've shut down Hancock 
and or is he still shut down or yeah they're shut down for a little bit yeah yeah and so not only did they not pitch last year but they're not by this year you know you'd really extend them a little bit but you can't because you don't you don't want to up their innings dramatically and, and risk arm injuries uh so it's really a two-year slowdown for the pitching prospects, which plays into what you just said, that those guys may not be ready by next year. Maybe more of a 2023 kind of thing for the Kirby's and the Hancock's and the Williamson's if they're still in the organization. No, and, and that's, you know, again, that's why you have depth. I mean, you have those guys so you can go and, and, and kind of and – like, and we've talked about this before, um, you know, that the, the Mariners – could have made this a lot easier on some of the prospects this year by getting Colton Wong. I mean, like Mm -hmm. by not thinking, you know, like, Hey, we're just going to try Dylan Moore out here and maybe he can really do this based off of 40 games when Colton Wong's a proven gold glove level player or Taiwan Walker, a proven starter instead of, you know, testing out. And and I mean, like, again, you know, Pax gets hurt, whatever. I mean, he wasn't really part of their plans. You know, this was a, last minute deal where Pax came to them and said, Hey, I'd like to sign with you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to take a reduced number, you know, and ownership really liked it, you know, cause uh, from what everything I had told before the Pax and deal happened. And I mean, Mather kind of alluded to it as he alluded to so many things is that <laughs> they were just, they were kind of done really that they weren't going to go anything big. They weren't going to, you know, supplement huge payroll because of that. And so it's like, you know, had they done that, you wonder what this team could have been you know, even more so like maybe they, you know, again, like at this point, if you, if you get those guys and we don't know how that fixes, but like you don't have the problems at second base that you do if you have Colton Wong and you you know, you don't run into bullpen start every fifth day. If you have Taiwan Walker because he's been healthy. I mean, so it's like, you know, this team that is fighting on the fringes of the wild card. if you get the expected performances out of these other guys, maybe you're not, you're fighting for a division title, not the wild card. You know, it's, it's oh, kind of crazy. Sure. For sure. I mean, Colton Wong is the kind of second baseman they're looking to add right now. Yeah, I mean, like, and they're going to, you know, Whit Merrifield, they both have around a 2.2 war, you know. Yeah. And to get, to, to get that second baseman, they might have to give up a couple of really good prospects when they could have. Instead of just giving up money. Instead of just giving up money. And they're going to have, and they're, have to pay money to Maryfield that probably is not that far off than from what they would be paying uh, Wong if they had signed him. Wong's in 292 with the you know high on base. Um, Could you imagine so, the defense with him and JP up the middle? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. No, that would have been a that would have been a tremendous pickup, and it's proving to be. Milwaukee, Milwaukee is a really good team, and he's a he's a key part of that. So, yeah. Uh, you, you revisionist history. You wonder. I mean, and Walker. Uh, Walker was an all-star, yeah, very reliable pitcher in the first half. He had a really bad start in his first start after the All-Star break. So I hope that's not indicative of a bad second half for him. But uh, he would have been perfect for this team. I mean, they really they they hit on Flexen, but again, they, yeah, yeah, they hit on Flexen. And let's be honest, they didn't think that this is the version of Chris Flexen they were getting, they thought of him was a number five, you know, that like, you know, the way yeah. they had it out, it was like, we just need some depth to go with these other guys. And we're going to run a six man rotation to control innings. And here's Flexen who actually pitched a full season last year in Korea. 
So we want him, you know, like because they don't have to worry about the innings count with Flexen because he pitched more innings than anybody else did on the staff. So it's like that's been great. He's been outstanding, but yeah, I don't know. And a key guy is Marco. Yeah. Because he uh, imagine if he can find his form for the final two months of the season and his last two starts have been encouraging. Uh, he's been really erratic unexpectedly in the first half of the season and a steady uh, Marco Gonzalez who's reminiscent of the last couple of years. That would be like adding that would be like adding a picture to the rotation if they, if they get that down the stretch. You wonder because they're so adamant about the, I guess Frazier's a left-handed bat, so I guess they weren't so adamant, but like the right-handed hitting bat. I mean, I know they sit there and say that Kyle Lewis could be back by August, but you think that that's a hedge too, that maybe this guy won't be back, you know, that the knee won't respond or, you know, and I don't even know how they're going to play him. They're going to have to DH him at least twice a week once he comes back too, if he comes back. Yeah. I just have no idea really where he stands in, uh, in his, in his comeback. And we really haven't, had a chance to talk to him. From no, yeah, don't get me started on that. <laughs> I knew that was a hot button item for you. Sorry. And it's not the like the, it's not the Mariners' PR fault. It, Kyle doesn't want to talk about it, and so I just feel like you know you have a responsibility to talk about it. You're the Ameri- you're the American League Rookie of the Year. You're doing all this stuff. You want this? You got to have that. You know, it's not like we're gonna rip him for being hurt. He got hurt. It happens. We what yeah. we want to write about is how far along is he? Does he feel good? Is he you know is he what has he done? to improve himself as a player when he can't do other baseball stuff. You know, like you, you've heard of other players like, like Jake Fraley, when he tore his hamstring, which we were told was only a minor strain uh, when he tore his hamstring, like he, he went back to work and really analyzed a lot of his hitting aspects in video and, and changed his hand placement and then rethought his approach to become the Norse God of walks and not getting shots. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'd like to talk to him. I don't I'm, I am, this team is, is is interesting like honestly when i started the season i know i said they could be a 95 loss team and when Pax got hurt and all those guys were hurt i was like this is really a 95 loss team i didn't expect these relievers to be good but they're interesting now i mean they've piqued my interest they play kind of interesting baseball you know i i I could use quicker games and less one run games from a deadline standpoint but you know it it is a interesting team to watch i think it's an endearing team to a certain extent i think fans are kind of falling for this team uh, they're scrappy, you know, all those cliches, but they're kind of true. They got some personality You know, JP Crawford's got personality. Uh, Kelnick has personality. Yeah. Um, so, and they're winning. That's teams. Yeah. Fall, fans fall for winning teams. It, you can have all the personality in the world. And if you're losing it doesn't really matter and vice versa, if you, you could be dull and be a 600 winning percentage team and fans will like you, but this is a winning team that seems to have some some personality, and I agree they are interesting. And the way they're winning is interesting. And the fact that they keep pulling out these one-run games, um, they're I think they have the best record in baseball in one-run games, and uh, that's how you that's how you overcome a, a fifty-four run of differential is by pulling out the close games and. Is it sustainable? Who knows? But it's a when you have a you win close games when you have a strong bullpen. And I was again crunching the numbers again, and in close and late situations, which I think is defined as seventh inning or beyond, where your lead is three runs or or less, they're they're 
pitching is number one in baseball in those in close and late situations. And, and that, that explains the one run success right there. Yeah. I, for me, I just, you know, I need them to get a starter so I don't have to listen to people complain about bullpen games again. And, and now that Montero has gone, I don't have to answer questions like that. Like, you know, like somebody's like, what, well, they, why did they bring him in in that A's game? And I'm like, well, they didn't have all their bullpen. Like it, they, it slotted out perfectly for Rafael Montero. It was like seven, eight, nine, all right-handed batters. All he has to do is pitch the seven, eighth and ninth and, and get through it. And, and not even just get through it. Like you can allow a base runner. You can do whatever. Just don't turn it into a fiasco. I mean, that's, yeah. it, it couldn't have been set up any better. And if you can't do that, then why are you on the team? Well, he couldn't do it. He's no longer on the team. But, I mean, like, they had to try it. I mean, like, because it's – I mean, when you're operating with a reliever down as it is because you don't have Santiago, they didn't have a choice. You had to put that pocket in there because then you had Misevich Misevich for the, the lefties, Olsen and Kemp or whoever they're going to bring up, Seth Brown. Like, they had it set up for everything to be normal and had – they tied the game. Had they tied the game or taken the lead, Seawald would have pitched, you know, and then you go to Graveman yeah. for two or whatever. But like you're down a run and you still have three more games against the A's. You can't go burning Seawald when you're down a run or burning Graveman when you, you know, it sucks to say it, but you have to wait till it's tied or have a lead. And, and they didn't. So they went to Montero and now he's gone. You know, Scott Service made the point when they released him that he'd never seen an unluckier pitcher in his career. And I think that was true early this season. I remember just a lot of bloopers that fell that kind of ruined innings for him. But then as the season went on, it, it, it ceased to be a matter of bad luck. He was just getting drilled. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe it went to his head, the frustration of yeah. pitching well, which he did earlier in the year and having nothing to show for it. And then, and then it wasn't luck anymore. It was just this guy could get anybody out and, uh, well, you can't – yeah, I mean, yeah, it's one thing. Yeah, you might have a bad luck hit or even two bad luck hits, but then that's fine. But when you throw the next one on the barrel, that isn't bad luck. Yeah. It's bad luck no. that the runners run. And, and as I pointed out in my story and, like, to other people, he was – his indifference to controlling the run game yeah. allowed seven – at least seven stolen bases and and uh, in those situations. And th when he's pitching in those games – he's making the bad luck worse by not controlling the running game and allowing these guys to move up 90 feet. So then, or if he walks a guy, but then ignores them, he steals second. Then you have the bad luck bloop. Yeah, that's yeah. bad luck, but you put yourself in the bad luck position by doing it. So yeah, I know yeah. he was unlucky. I think he has good stuff. Boy, if you're, if you're the Mariners, you better hope that Jose Corneal and Andres Mesa don't turn into anything kind of like the way Freddie Peralta and Pablo Lopez did. Um, you know, and I, yeah. it'll be interesting to see. And I had a text from, uh, the guy that actually signed Pablo Lopez and, um, and Freddie Peralta and Julio Rodriguez, who used to work for the Mariners saying, Hey, I have sources with the Rangers that say they love Jose Corneal and he's going to be up to 95 to 96 by the time he's 19 years old. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, who knows, but they're a lottery ticket at that point, you know, it's yeah. Well, when you trade away prospects, that's the risk you take is they turn into Freddie Peralta or yeah. And and when you when you and when you're told by your team president that you can't spend money on relievers, so you have to trade players to you have to trade prospects mm -hmm. to get them because they're on lower salary. That's what also happens. You know. Imagine what their bullpen would be like if uh, Montero had performed up to standard. They'd oh have man. Another, 
another late inning arm. The, the fact that the guy that they acquired to be their closer has stunk this year and they still have, yeah. you know, an outstanding bullpen is an amazing uh, 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 testament to the depth that they, they did acquire and the emergence of guys like, you know, Seawald, who's been lights out and kind of out of nowhere. Not to pat myself on the back, but I told you that Kendall Graven would be the closer by the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, yeah, you did. I but I mean, I'll give you that. Yeah, because well, I believe I had that, Larry. Um, I was going to ask you, how was the All Star game? How was it? Uh, oh, it was fun. Yeah, it was great to be uh, on the road again. Oh, yeah. yeah, first time in. I'm exhausted. <laughs> first time since spring training of twenty. 19 and you're on your first trip too like you're yeah. just off your first trip as well right so yeah it's it's good same place be, yeah that's right yeah and it was good to you know all the all my friends in the media who were there to catch up with them was was fun and uh, uh the, the, it was a little disconcerting to have kikuchi suddenly announced yeah. during the home run or it revealed during the home run derby that he wasn't going to, that he was off the active roster, which was a stunner since I had talked to him that afternoon and he had talked about how excited he was to pitch in the game. So something happened between there. Uh, but other than that, you know, it was good to see Kelnick and uh, Julio together at the, at the futures game. Uh, so I'm glad I went. I like the story on Kikuchi though. I mean, it was, you know, he really is. He really has created. He really has um, pushed himself into this position, like through work and just yeah. constant work. Yeah, it's you know, uh, interesting to see if he sustains it. He kind of got off to a little concerning start in the second half, and he, even his last start of the first half, after he made the All Star team, he had a bad start, and then his first start wasn't good. But then the last start, what did he strike out twelve? Yeah, something like that. So. You know, they need him. They need all these guys. They need that. They need consistent starting pitching to 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 remain in contention or to pass the A's. How was the uh, meeting with Tony Clark and my good friend Rob Manford, who take just really dislikes me? Uh, it was pretty good. the uh, The meeting with Clark was pretty much all about the writers wondering when the clubhouses were going to be open. <laughs> We had a half hour with Clark. This has been now probably 15 years. It's really a good thing. At the All-Star Baseball Writers Meeting, it's always... Which I've shown up to hung over every year, but yeah, go yeah. ahead. It's the commissioner for half an hour and the head of the Players Association. And those, it was Selig, it, now it's Manfred. It was uh, um, Wein, Michael Weiner, who, who passed away, and now it's Tony Clark. Um, so... It's always very informative. Um, so, but there were, you know, being it was a right being a writers' association. There was a lot of questions about the clubhouse access in in the COVID world, which uh, Tony Clark pretty much batted away every question and never really gave a, a strong answer. But Manfred was he talked a lot about uh, sort of this the state of the game and the, the new rules and all that. So it was really interesting. Yeah, not my favorite guy. He, he he's he he's like, I I don't know if he knows who I am, but I think like a couple of questions I've asked him in the past have not made him very happy. There was a really a fiery exchange with my friend John Shab sitting right next to him. Yeah, uh, who was 
demanding answers about the Oakland situation. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was cool to watch the back and forth of uh, Manfred pretty much saying it was do or die for the city of Oakland that, that they've reached the final stage. And if they don't approve this new site, that it was time for Oakland to look elsewhere. And John kind of challenged him on some things. So that was, uh, that was the highlight for me of the, of the Manfred situation. Yeah, I like, I always just thought that Manfred is so calculated and so kind of slick, very lawyerly. Whereas yeah. Bud, I mean, Bud might give you the wrong answer, but it came from Bud. I mean, it wasn't like, it was what he thought or believed. It wasn't always so cookie cutter, you know, he had, yeah. a, he, he had a, I mean, I'm sure his PR staff didn't love that he would, how he would answer stuff, but Bud just answered it. I mean, like, whereas Manfred doesn't, yeah. I, I never, I should ask Teven if, if Manfred hates me, but like he, he <laughs> I mean, cause I, I, I'm honestly, I beat him up pretty good. You know, I don't think he reads it. I'm sure somebody reads it to him and says, Oh yeah, this is what they said in the Seattle times, but you well, know, Bud, Bud read everything and I got a he, few calls at home, oh, yeah. but I mean, I always liked that about him is that he was a writer's guy. He was a media guy dating back to when he was just the owner of the Brewers and he yeah. would hang out in the press box schmoozing with Tom Hydrocourt, the, the, son, yeah. the, the Journal Sentinel beat reporter and the, and the incoming, the visiting writers. He loved those guys. Um, but he read everything. He had clip file uh, and he would read it every day. And on at least two occasions, I got a call at home because he didn't like what I had written. Larry! Uh, Bud, yeah. so why would you write this, Larry? Why? Exactly. Well, the phone would ring and it, they'd say, yeah, well, holding for Bud Selig. He wouldn't make the call. The secretary would make the call. You get holding for Bud Selig and they all go, what did I write? <laughs> <laughs> I had that. The only time I ever had holding for somebody, it was uh, holding for Dave Pearson. I was like, yeah, no, click. <laughs> No comment. Yeah, I got the Ryan. I guess we got disconnected. No, we really didn't. I'm just like, I'm not. Um, but can you, know, you can you imagine Roger Goodell? Oh God, doing, no. doing that. I mean, the, the uh, and you could. Uh, I called Bud Selig in his office at least twenty times and got through. You know, he had you could reach him, which I I don't think you could do with many of the other commissioners. So, you know, I always appreciated that. Hey, did Manfred say anything specific like about the the rules or anything, the sticky stuff or anything? Like, are we going to see changes? I, I know you've written some of the stuff on there, but what do you think is the most pertinent stuff that maybe if people well, didn't read he, it? He, he said that the sticky stuff rules have worked. You know, he cited all these stats about how offense has gone up since they did it. And I think he's right. You, you look at the scores now and you see a lot more double digit runs than you did in the first half. Uh, and, you know, as awkward as it was to have and is to have these checks, I think it's kind of fallen into a routine now and nobody even thinks anything of it. And I think it did force pitchers to stop doing the stuff that was the most egregious that was leading to these insane uh, spin rates. And I think it's made it into a, a more level playing field, which is what he had in mind in the first place. So I, I think it's been a success. I don't know what you think. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I didn't like that. I felt like they made Hector Santiago a scapegoat and all of this. And, you know, but I mean, yeah. they that helped put more fear into it, you know, and, and that's kind of kind of where mm -hmm. they're at. And I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm indifferent to some of this stuff, but like, hey, if it makes it better, that's fine. I just didn't like I don't like a lot of how he does stuff. I don't mind the thinking. I just don't like how he 
some of his his implementation or his, the attitude he takes with it. Um, well, that's good though. I mean, like you know, what, what about? Did he say something about double headers? They're not going to do. Yeah, he said that. Uh, or extra innings. The extra innings uh, rule is probably going to be gone next. Damn time, it! What he said. Also, also the seven inning double headers are probably going to be gone. That was just a COVID thing. Uh, I like the. But you know, I I like the fact that they're experimenting with all this stuff at the minor league level. Yeah, that, that's what you should be doing. See if it works. See if pitch clocks work. See if uh, you know bigger bases work and all that crazy stuff that they're doing. Uh, you know, everyone says that baseball has a problem, and the the shift thing too. Oh, that was the other thing, right? He made it sound very strongly that they are going to have a rule against shifts in the future. They're going to push hard for it. Ownership is aligned on it, two on either side of the infield. And, you know, I've been a proponent of that. I, I've, you know, I, I know, I think Tim teams should shift as if the rules allow it, teams should shift to their heart's content. It's makes sense, but I don't like, I've written this before. I don't like the ball hit between first and uh, second. That's been a hit for 120 years of baseball, suddenly you have the third baseman pulled over in, in shallow left right field who fields it and throws the guy out. I just don't like that. Yeah. That's, you know, and I don't think Kyle Seager likes it either. No. no. (laughs) He's going to just be pissed. Like, Oh yeah, sure. Now my career is over with basically. And you're going to. Right. And people say, Oh, you need to adjust and all that, but it's easier said than done when guys are throwing hundred miles an hour to, to adjust to it so you know and that rule have, would have its own set of problems you could have guys who stand like one foot to the side of second oh, yeah. base and then and then is that any different but you it would eliminate the the the, the uh, right side of the infield the guy in short right field the third baseman pulled over that would be eliminated because you have to have three on that side of the infield or two yeah. on that side, only two so um Anything else cool about the All-Star game? Uh, no, nah, that was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. That's cool. Uh, first trip was all right. You know, it was hot in Denver. Yeah, it's hot while I was there, too. Yeah. Um, are you Are you going on the next trip? I am. I'm going. I leave for Texas on the Red Eye Wednesday night. So I'll be there for the trade deadline and such. Oh. So, <laughs> And I mean, now that they're winning, we kind of have to keep going, don't we? Got to keep following them. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was uh, on our on our thread that we have with some of our media friends. I was telling the story the other day about that when I covered the '97 trade deadline. That was uh-huh. uh, I was filling in for Bob Finnegan, our beat writer, and for really the only time in my career, I chose to travel on the day of the game, and I didn't even look at the date when I did it. And it was, the and it was July thirty first. Yeah, I mean, I made the reservation like weeks ahead of time, and I got a better fare flying on that day. And I didn't think trade deadline, and then the day came. And oh man, this is this was stupid. I'm flying on the, the trade deadline day, and which I don't like to do because if you have any kind of plane trouble, you're you, yeah. you, know, you can miss the game. So sure enough, I got delayed in Detroit on the way to Milwaukee, which was an American League team at the time, and the Mariners were playing in Milwaukee, but I. So I didn't get to the field until 
right at first pitch because I've been delayed so long. And I was just freaking out because I was afraid they were going to make a big trade while I was in the airport. And they didn't. And the, but they made all their trades after the game, like right at midnight. And that was the day they traded Derek Lowe and Jason Veritek. Oh, for, yeah, that for, trade. Or uh, uh, Heathcliff Slocum. And then they traded Jose Cruz Jr. like uh, for Mike Timlin and Paul Spoljeric. But they, they, that was one of the craziest days I've ever had in sports writing was the, 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 the freaking out over flying on the day of the game and then having these two huge trades right on deadline. Yeah, so... Uh, I hope you're not flying on the 30th. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, like I, I've had to do that. I've had to do that before, though. It is not yeah. enjoyable. I had to do it for um, for a few years ago. Bob Dent and I were on the same flight, and so we're basically sitting there, you, having to rely on airplane Wi-Fi to make sure that we get like you know the the proper uh, so we can kind of do that. And you're like, oh, this is not what you want. This is not at least ideal. You feel better when your competition is sitting next to you and in the same boat, yeah. you know, yeah. the same situation. So, you know, you're not going to get beat. But yeah. So, no, it was because um, of that. Yeah. It was, huh, it was a rough one. That's for certain. Um, well, I was trying to think of anything else we want to need to cover uh, moving forward. Um, do you got anything? I, no, I think. Uh, I think if people have stuck through us with us for this long, they're probably ready for us to sign up. Yeah. So, uh, what do you, anything, are you going to be out the yard today, right? I think I'm going to come out. Yeah. I was gone for a week, like you said, visiting family. And so I feel like, uh, I want to go see what the atmosphere is for, for a big game. So I'll be out there today and maybe tomorrow as well. They don't do something, man. Are you going to crush them? I think carve them up. We'll see what, I mean, I have to see what the circumstances are, but uh, I mean, I would be shocked what if that happens. So sometimes you can try all your hardest to make a deal and nobody wants your players or whatever. So, but, you know, Jerry's pretty adept at making a trade. I, I, I would be stunned if they, if he didn't do something. That's got to be better than Zach Duke and Adam Warren and Cameron Mayfield or Mabin, Mabin Cameron Mabin. Mabin, yeah. And, uh, Jack Mayfield, Cameron Mabin. Um <laughs> Yeah, that was. There's been a lot of those over the years. Even in the good years, the 2000 when they desperately needed a guy for a playoff team, and they got uh, uh, Al Martin. Yeah. <laughs> that was the guy they ended up getting. And, yeah. uh, you can't get Jags, as they call it. Just another guy. You got to get dudes. There's a the yeah. starting parlance. He's a dude. You can't get a JAG. Just another guy. He's a guy. He's a dude. They need dudes. They do need dudes. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I want you to carve them up if they don't do anything. I I don't want you to go like, cause Steve Kelly used to just wield like a a hatchet when he would do it or a meat cleaver. You're more of a Ginsu knife, you know, or samurai sword or like, I don't know, like you do it when you do it, when you cut them up, it's, it's, it's tactical, you know, like the best one I've seen all year is when, uh, Mark Carrig of the athletic carved up. Uh, Monfort and those guys at the Rockies. That was just a yeah. systematic destroying of a front yeah. office. It was amazing. Yeah. So. Well, I think I carved up Mather pretty good. But yes, was, yes, you did. That was, uh, you know, I felt that one strongly. So. Well, I mean, like it's like as a comment, you don't want to do it, but like sometimes you got to. Sometimes that's what it requires. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
All right. Well, um, yeah, we'll wrap it up. Uh, and definitely we'll do a post trade deadline one. So if Larry's yeah. doing the, if Larry's doing the carving or if he's doing, you know, whatever. So <laughs> thanks for All listening. All right. Let's have a, let, let's have a, a, a prediction. Whit Merrifield, will be, he, will he be a Mariner in a week? No, I don't think so. I think that the Royals don't want to trade him. I'm going to say yes. Who, who is the prediction they're giving up? Okay, let's say if they're, they're giving up, if they're going to get Merrifield, who are they giving up? Trammell, Williamson, and either Fraley or Long. Ooh, interesting. I wonder if, if Jake Fraley not being vaxxed makes him less likely to be traded. Mm, or more likely to be traded. Yeah, you never know. Um, <laughs> When's he back, by the way? Tomorrow. Back? Tomorrow, okay. the next day, I think. And also uh, Hector. Hector's back tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, okay, if I uh, they're going to go Tramel and... Did I say Trammel? I, I apologize for uh, that. Trammel. I'm, I'm thinking Alan Trammel. I think Trammel and... No, I'm going to change it. I'm going to go Williamson and Zach Deloach and then maybe one other guy. I don't know. I was wondering about Deloach. I almost threw his name out there earlier. I mean, he's a he's really low level uh, in in terms of his experience, not in of his yeah. upside, but with a lot of upside. Yeah, um, I will go really him and Deloach. Early in his career. Him and Deloach and maybe somebody like Caden Polkovich. You know, know that. Yeah. That's my guess. Who knows? All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, now let's get into the audio. We'll start with Scott Service and Kyle Seeger. Post game on Sunday after the Mariners take three or four from the A's. And then we'll go to um, pregame Monday before the Astros, Scott Service also talking about the trade deadline and some other stuff. Anybody hear me? We're good. Yeah, what a series, huh? Uh, exciting baseball. Uh, doesn't really get uh, much better than that against a, a real quality opponent. And I uh, can't say enough of the uh, the grit, the effort, whatever you want to throw out. Our guys showed up and played played their tails off all weekend. And uh, you know today's game uh, to hang in there uh, with a little bit shorter uh, bullpen than, than normal. Uh, you know, heck of an effort. Uh, couldn't be any more proud of our guys and. We have, obviously, we've got uh, momentum on our side right now, and we're going to ride this as long as we can. And uh, it's a great opportunity for young players to experience something like this. And, again, another uh, big outing by our fan base today. I thought the crowd today was awesome. Uh, really helped along uh, stirring on a few of those final outs uh, in that ball game. So uh, the key to today's game, really, Marco Gonzalez making an adjustment. You know, they threw about 50 pitches on him in the first couple innings. And, you know, credit to him. Uh, opportunity to talk with him and Murph after the second inning and we needed to go to plan B because plan A was not going to work pretty obvious on that and it, it really takes a, a true pro to be able to to shift course midstream like that and, and Marco did a heck of a job along with Murph uh, to induce some soft contact uh, with his off speed pitches to get, allow him to get deeper in the ball game and I thought he should have finished the six we didn't get uh, very many friendly calls from the umpire today uh, but Again, our bullpen steps up. Shaggy uh, getting us a uh, big strike out there to get through the sixth. And I thought Miz got some big outs for us um, through the, the Olsen pocket, you know, uh, in the ball game. And Steck getting a save is awesome. Um, but it doesn't happen unless Jake Bowers makes that throw. Uh, heck of a play. Game on the line. Obviously, Chapman being very aggressive. Uh, you know, 
give Bowers a ton of credit. He's not a, a left fielder by nature, but he's got a really, he's a good athlete. He's got a good throwing arm, made a heck of a play, uh, really key to the ball game there. Huge, huge out in that inning. So offensively, we put it together in one inning and uh, two out, nobody on, and we put a four spot up there. Uh, says a lot about our guys and the fact that once we get the ball rolling, start having those quality at bats, guys put some balls in play, um, and we were able to get just enough offense today to, to make it work. So uh, couldn't be any more excited about this group and where we're at right now. And, you know, uh, we'll enjoy this one tonight and get after the Astros tomorrow. Any questions? Scott, is this the series, is this series the most confident that you guys have felt all season? I mean, given the time of year and who you're playing against? I don't know if it's the most confident, you know, um, I think it just, uh, for me, what stands out in this series is the job that our bullpen did. Um, the number of guys, uh, we knew we were going to be short, probably no gravy, no seawall today. We needed some other guys to step up and they certainly did. So, um, you know, the confidence is, is very high, uh, amongst this group. And I say that, and we're, we're playing good baseball. I still don't think we're clicking the way we can offensively. Um, so there's still room for growth, still room for improvement here, but, um, certainly love the results here this weekend. Scott, you talked about the bullpen, but the, uh, the I, I don't know how many walks those guys combined for in this series, but it sure wasn't many. I mean, we've seen what these late free passes can really, how they could really work against a team, but your guys consistently have been able to get over the plate. They, they really have. And I, and I have to credit, uh, you know, Pete Woodworth, uh, Trent Blank, our pitching coaches, we hammer it. That's all we talk about is, you know, controlling the strike zone and not giving up those free bases. And the guys take it to heart. Uh, nothing good can happen, you know, uh, when, when you put them on base via the walk, the pitch count gets up, your stuff, you know, it starts deteriorating the longer you're out there and bad things happen uh, when you start walking, dude. So uh, our guys take it to heart, you know, winning those OOs, winning those 1-1 counts are so huge in controlling the count. And they've done a heck of a job with it and staying after it. You know, you can see teams or groups have a good week or two weeks. Uh, our guys, uh, we track it. Uh, we talk about it weekly uh, with them and how we're doing uh, in comparison to the league, how they're doing individually. And it's really uh, hit home. And not just here, but throughout our entire organization. That's what we're about. It's got uh, a lot on the line for your team right now, but was there any extra motivation coming into this one to maybe hand Irvin his shortest start of the year? Um, you know, it was talked about, but I think the, you know, somebody once told me, you know, you want justice, don't become your enemy. We'll leave it at that. Scott, um, in normal years, you go into a game needing six or seven innings from Marco, you just kind of stamp it down because that's who he is. But this hasn't been a normal year. He was at 49 pitches at two innings. I mean, what were you thinking? And, and, and how impressed were you that he was able to reel it in? I was thinking we were in a really bad spot, Ryan, if you want me to be honest. Um, and that's why uh, oftentimes, you know, I guess, you know, my background and being a catcher all those years and reading the bat and what the other team is doing against you. Uh, you know, they're oftentimes always talking with the pitching coach about it. And there's, there's a few times and certainly with a guy like Marco, I've got history with um, and Murph that, you know, I just make a suggestion. I think we ought to try this or it's probably not going to end well. And to those guys credit, they were open to it. We needed to make an adjustment and they executed it. It's all about the players. And, and you know, I thought Marco did a heck of a job to when he got to you know, understanding what was going on and then just switching to plan B. 
but you got to execute it. You can have the greatest plan in the world. If your players can't do it, it doesn't matter. And those guys did a heck of a job today. It was J.P. Crawford who started things in the third. How good was it to see him get that hit and snap the offer? Yeah, he's been struggling a little bit, uh, you know, and, and, you know, J.P.'s one. I think we all know how J.P.'s going, whether that smile comes out or not. And he was pretty happy to, to, to kind of get off the snide there. Big hit for us, started a rally, um, little energy in the dugout. Whenever J.P.'s on base, good things seem to happen. Scott, can you still call him Shaggy after that haircut? I was really worried, Corey, when I saw him after the All-Star break. I, it took me like a whole day. I, every time I looked, it was like double take. I didn't recognize him. And I, I, I did say, what are we going to call you? I can't change it. You know, it's Shaggy. It matched up with the name and the hair and the whole thing. But I will say this guy has been huge in our bullpen. You know, we, he's kind of he's our pivot guy. That's what we call. You come in with guys on traffic and his ability to execute pitches. You know, the sinker slider, it's a really good slider, and he's gotten a ton more confidence, you know, with his fastball and using it more as the league gets to know him. And I can't tell you how many jams he's gotten us out of and just kind of settles the game down and lets the other guys in the bullpen kind of line them up and, and go do their stuff. So they all play an integral part in putting the whole thing together, and uh, it's a fun group. It really is. You just said it's a fun group, uh, the team yourself. How much do you want to see, like, uh, a push for this team from from management to get you guys some more guys and to really kind of take advantage of where you're at right now in the standings and, and what you've proven this far this season to kind of help say you know hey we're going for it. Well, I think you're going to see you're going to see a lot of movement around the league. Um, no question, the teams that feel like they have a chance to to go after a division title or a wild card berth, there, there's going to be a lot of movement. I think it all comes down to like the last 72 hours and and, and being a part of a lot of those discussions uh, in my past. I realize how that all works, but uh, uh, I do think you know our, our guys. You know, they continue to show up. They fight. They really fight every day uh, to go out and they love competing. You know. Uh, it, it's, it's easy to say, yeah, go get that player or go get this player. It's really hard to make trades. I don't think people look at that and, and understanding what's all involved with it, whether it's, it's contracts, whether it's service time, how long you control players, all those other things play into that. So um, I try not to get involved with it. Um, it's not my job. My job is to get the most out of the guys we have in our clubhouse. And I think our guys are doing a heck of a job right now. So, again, every team is probably going to add something. Um, and I hope we add something. I guess that's the best way I can put it. I don't know what that's going to be. Any more questions? All right. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Questions for Kyle? What kind of throw was that that Bowers made to get the runner at third? Yeah, that's a really difficult play. Um, you know, he's going away from the away from the bag, um, you know, going away from the throw there. It's really hard to hit somebody on the run there, too, because I wasn't there being in the shift position. I was more in the shortstop. So I'm having to run in that general direction. And that's a that's a very it's really difficult to throw it to the bag when nobody's there. And especially when you got Chapman running there and, you know, really hustling that ball. It's uh, you know, it takes a lot of, uh, you know, Gus to make that throw. And he certainly did. Tom said it takes a lot of credit from you, too, because of how much ground you had to cover to get back to the bag. Uh, well, the, the play took me that way a little bit, but anytime he wants to give me credit, I'll take it. Kyle, was it a, about this team when you get late into games, into one-run games, to, to have the poise and composure to know that you're going to be able to close it out? 
Um, I think you got a lot of different things going for you. I think our bullpen's been really good. They they've been, you know, unbelievably shut down. And then um, you know, the defense has been really good, I think. And then you, we've we've found a way to get a lot of timely hits. I mean, like yesterday, I mean it was completely Hanniger, right? So that was awesome. But you know, you you need, you know, some big hits up and down the order. And you know, we didn't get a whole lot of traffic out there, but you know, we certainly, you know, made it count when when we did. Collectively, how much confidence are you guys playing with right now compared to maybe, you know, where you were at in April and May? Um, absolutely. You know, winning, winning does that. Right. So, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's always fun to, you know, to play in those type of environments. The, either the fans, they were awesome. Those loud in there. That was great. You know, that's, that's certainly what you, uh, you know, what you want and that's what you hope for. Kyle, did you, had you guys talk, discussed Irvin's comments that he made after you, the last time you guys got 10 hits off of him and some of the things he said about you post game? What happened? I'm sorry. Did you guys discuss any of the comments as a team that Cole Irvin had uh, about you saying that he should never give up 10 hits to a team like you guys? Um, did you guys talk about that at all? That, that pitcher, the pitcher said that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know we'd faced him before. So, yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> hey, Kyle, you, you talked about it before. You said at some point it has to be about winning. You guys are winning right now. I mean, the trade deadline's looming, you know, in past years, it was always about who's getting dealt. Now, should it be more about who are the Mariners going to go get to help this team? You guys are in a position now that, you know, you've been in the past where maybe you didn't get the requisite help. I mean, what, what do you want to see? I, I, absolutely. You know, you always want to be on a team that's trying to win, right? You know, it, and like you said, like I've said in the past, you know, at some point it has to be about winning. You know, that's the that's the goal of, you know, baseball. You're not, you know, you don't necessarily always want to be playing for, you know, rebuilds and doing those or stuff, especially, you know, me, you know, kind of where I'm at, you know, I want to be playing for something, you know, bigger than myself. I want to be playing for something, you know, big. And, you know, you can, you can feel how much this city is just, you know, starving for it. You can see with the fans. I mean, it's been way too long, obviously, but yeah, it, it, you have to be about winning. I mean, so, I mean, would you, I guess it's weird to sit there and say, but like, what do you want to see happen in the next week? I would certainly hope you don't want to see any of your players get traded, but you would like to see maybe like the, the ownership believe that you guys are as good as you played right now. You, you want that obviously, right? You want people to believe in you. You want them to feel like, you know, we're, we're doing a good job and that, you know, this is a team to go for, you know, I, I think, it's been preached this rebuild so much, but I mean, you know, we're, we're right there on the edge of this thing. So certainly you would like to, you know, have them, you know, make moves and, you know, get the team as good as we possibly can. And, you know, I know me personally, I mean, good Lord, I'd like to make a run out of it. Anything else for Kyle? Thank you, Kyle. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're good to go. Yes, we uh, survived the weekend. That one's behind us. We're looking forward to the Astros uh, tonight. And we've got Darren McCackett on the mound. And I have to apologize. The last name, McCackett, I, I just keep saying McCracken. So uh, you're going to have to hang with me if, if I do mispronounce that. But uh, he'll take the hill tonight. Uh, give him a start. Obviously, he threw the ball really well over in Colorado his first time out uh, with us. Um, and we'll see how far he can take it. Um, you know, obviously, we, we ran through our bullpen really hard over the weekend. A few of those guys will be off tonight. So we need other guys to step up. And that's been the story of our bullpen. Uh, we've had a number of guys step up and, and do a really nice job for us. So 
Um, we haven't played the Astros in a while. Uh, they're relatively healthy, but you know, if you look at the numbers and what they've been doing offensively, they're one of the best teams in the league. Um, you know, batting average and on base and all that other stuff. They control the strike zone very well. They're very patient at the plate. So uh, it'll be a big challenge for our pitching staff here uh, in this series. So with that, I will take any questions today. Scott, obviously coming off a, a really exciting homestand with the crowd and everything and, and the way you guys played against the A's, but, you know, now bringing in just as critical of another series, just how excited are your guys to, to face this first place Astros team today? Well, I think, you know, the, all the, the media, whatever, like to, to make, oh, this is the biggest series of the year. Last series was the biggest series. Of the year. We're just, we're playing baseball and, and we want to win every series, you know, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, who we're lined up against. If it's a first place team, if it's a team behind us in the standings, we just got to continue to play good baseball. But uh, certainly there's a lot of excitement in the ballpark over the weekend. There should have been. Those were exciting games. Uh, you're hanging on the edge of your seat you, know, you need guys to, you know, step up in big moments. And we had a number of players that did have outstanding weekends to say all that. And that's behind us. Uh, we need to keep building upon that. And then I've talked about all year. Uh, I do believe we're going to continue to get better. So uh, I'd love to see our offense pick it up here a little bit. Certainly uh, there's some guys that are showing signs of, you know, controlling the strikes a little bit better. I thought, um, you know, Jared Kelnick's uh, weekend, if you look at where it started and how it ended, you know, I think he's moving in the right direction. So there's a positive signs there, but uh, it should be a very competitive series again, uh, you know, like they all are with us. We play a lot of close games. The guy there said, uh, Luis Garcia, I think he was a opposite of Yusei in that brilliant game that Yusei pitched. Uh, what were your takeaways from Garcia, though, in that outing back in April in Houston? Yeah, we didn't know much about him in April, and, and I don't know if the Astros did either much. He was just kind of getting his feet wet, you know, at the major league level uh, in a starting rotation, and he's put together a really good season. He's got really good stuff. He throws a ton of strikes. He uses all of his pitches. Um, it'll be a tough challenge for us uh, tonight. He's throwing the ball really well. Scott, do you have any updates on Dunn, Lewis, and Sheffield? Well, it would take me to the Monday update. So I just got out of the trainer's room just because I know you or Shannon or somebody important would ask those questions. So I'll give you the quick rundown best I can off the top of my head. Um, Justice Sheffield threw off the mound yesterday. Um, not a full bullpen, more of what they call a touch and feel. He threw 15 fastballs. All felt good. He will progress here probably on Wednesday, throw more of a full bullpen. Well, he will mix in all of his pitches and then we'll continue to build upon that uh, before he goes out. Uh, does some live BP and a rehab assignment and everything else there. So that's where he's at. Uh, Justin Dunn is a little bit behind him. Um, Dunny has not gotten off the mound yet. He's probably a few days away from doing that. Um, Kyle Lewis continues to progress. Um, you know, he isn't working into the hitting progression, you know, in the cage. He's not on the field yet. Um, he's not doing any running on the field yet, but he is progressing, uh, progressing uh, along in, in a good, good spot there. Jake Fraley is back with us today. Uh, he's in the ballpark. Uh, he'll go through pregame with us today, and then he'll probably head out. Uh, he hasn't played in uh, at least a couple weeks, so he'll head out to Tacoma um, and start a rehab assignment here tomorrow or the next day um, based on how he feels coming out of today. But, uh, you know, I saw him here in the clubhouse. He looks good. He's ready to go. Very anxious. It's a lot of time to sit in a hotel room and be away from, from everybody else. But uh, he's healthy and ready to go there. Um, Hector. Hector Santiago, the man who travels the world on his 10-game suspension, is back with us. He was in the ballpark yesterday. He threw a full bullpen. Uh, there's a good chance uh, he will be back on our roster tomorrow. 
So we'll be back up to a full 26-man roster tomorrow when Hector joins us again. Um, Who else am I missing there that you'd want to know about, Ryan? Anybody in particular? No, not really. (laughs) Okay. Anybody else on the the rehab crew? Uh, That's – that's about it where we stand there and again the guys are progressing uh would love to have them back as soon as it can but uh from my seat we can't rush it you gotta trust the medical people and and the rehab guys working with these people scott obviously the trade deadline is is coming up uh the way you guys have closed the gap is you know what the a's is possibly changed you guys approach i'm not sure but i'm curious what would you say the skeptics who are saying listen I see. I look at the negative 52 run differential. I look at the record in one run games. I think there's a luck factor that's been involved in this. I'm not sure it's sustainable. What would you say to say to them to say, no, no, we've proven what we can do. <laughs> well, I don't think the, you know, people are going to talk about run differentials and, and whatever. That's a stat that people look at, whatever, just so you know, like I don't really look at it. I don't go into each game thinking, Oh, we're minus 52. We have no chance tonight. It doesn't work that way. You know, you play the game, you play to win it. Uh, if you can't win it, you circle the wagons and you do everything else you can to make sure you have an opportunity to win the next day. So run differential, I get it. I understand why people look at it, but coaches, myself, players, we don't look at it. Uh, we're focused on on winning every series and, and going to every game thinking this is what gives us the best chance to win. So um, I think we've done an excellent job of staying in the moment not getting ahead of ourselves. That's kind of what you guys do and some fans do. And, you know, they talk about this series or the road trip we're about to go on after this series and all oh, they've got to win six, they've got to win seven. No, we don't. We got to try to win today. And if that doesn't work out, we put ourselves in the best position to win tomorrow and keep looking at it that way. So uh, I do know one thing that we have a ton of confidence um, in our clubhouse. Guys really believe in themselves and they believe in each other. Uh, that's one of the reasons we are successful in the one run games. And is there a luck factor involved? Yes, there is. And every team that's ever made it to the playoffs and win the world series, eventually you need some things to go your way. You need a little luck, you need a little magic mojo, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'd rather be on the right side of it than on the wrong. And I think we're, you know, we're, we're benefiting from that because we have a good process and we're doing things the right way and we're staying consistent with it. So you know, I, I say all that and, and um, I don't know what's going to happen as you get down to the end of the trade deadline. Um, I think as you, you, know, you listen to media experts and the national people that, you know, supposedly have the ins and outs of what's going on behind the scenes. Let me tell you what, Matt, they have no clue. No clue. I would believe about 10% of what you read. Uh, and it's hard. Well, how would they? You know, they all want to speculate, but um, I know what our front office does. They're working the phones very hard. They're trying to find ways to improve this club. And, you know, I often said it's really hard to make trades and everybody says, oh, just give them that guy. Just get, you don't know, you know, and uh, that's what our, our front office does an excellent job. The one thing I will say, I'm really proud of the fact that we are in a position where we have a lot of prospects. Okay. And we can talk to, we can talk about any player in the game because we have that many prospects and they're that young. And that's quite a, we couldn't do that a few years ago. We couldn't talk about half the players in the game because we didn't have the, the prospect wealth. We do now. Uh, that's a credit to our scouting, player development, our front office group. We've done a nice job there. So I know those guys are working extremely hard, trying to do what they can to, to help our ball club out, but it's tough to make trades and we just have to wait and see how it plays out. But um, we'll worry about the Astros and, and trying to win this series, what we're focused on down here. Thank you. Got it, got it. Got it's got to be a better feeling, though, not to 
wonder who's going to be traded away instead of, and now whom you might add. I mean, there's got to be a better feeling all the way around, isn't there? Oh yeah, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that driving in today, Ryan. Uh, much different feel here this year than maybe the last couple of years when, you know, certainly in 2019 we we had still some veteran players that we had acquired, but we acquired them knowing that we were probably going to move on. They weren't going to be a part of the long term rebuild here. So, uh, you know, much different feel, no question about it. And you know, that's a credit to our players that have put us in this position. These guys have really played hard. Uh, we, we've dealt with injuries and some adversity along the way, like every team does. But, uh, you know, we're looking forward to, to getting out there tonight and, and see what that tonight brings. And if we can't get it done tonight, we'll focus on tomorrow and try to win the series from there. Hi, Scott. Um, I just wonder that uh, how would you manage the pitch count the next, you know, two, two weeks for starting pitchers? You know, there's some guys that show based and uh, there's some guys, you know, uh, time difference in the East Coast. Yeah, I think you're talking about managing the pitch count over the next yeah, few weeks. Yeah, next yeah weeks. you know, it, it's a question that comes up. You know, we were in a six-man rotation, and we've cut back to five-man rotation. You know, you look at, you know, we do have an off day coming up here, so some of the guys will still get the extra day uh, rest. But um, for me and where our guys are at, um, you know, you saw in the ball game yesterday, you know, Marco had a chance to, you know, close out the sixth inning. He let him run over 100 pitches. When I look at pitch counts on a five-man rotation, I'm looking in three-game increments, okay? So if you run a guy 105, and the next time he's out there and maybe throws 99 or 102, on the third one, we might try to pull back a little bit. So that's how, that's how I look at it in the pitching coaches. That's kind of the way we've always done it in a five-man rotation. Uh, one t- you might run a guy out there for 110, 112. He's just got one of those games going, okay? You might be a little bit more aware his next time out. You know, and again, you got to trust your eyes. Um, they're all a little bit different. Some guys can t- take on a little bit heavier workload. Some guys can't. Um, but I feel good about our group. Uh, I really do. If you look at, you know, the guys we're running out there, uh, at least the, the main four guys with Flex, you know, you say, uh, you know, Marco and Gilbert, I feel very comfortable. All of those guys uh, can throw over 100 pitches and, and bounce back five days later and be totally fine. So it's going to be up to your what? up to your decision that uh, you say is three days and a half best uh, next outing against the Houston. I mean, uh, on the Wednesday, uh, you say had only three days and a half day rest. Three and a half days? I'm, I'm, you're, I'm lost. I'm, you're confusing me. Oh, man. I mean, he has a four days rest. Right. Next outing. Right. So it's really up to what you see at the outing at that day. Correct. Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see how it looks and, and see where it goes from there. Thank you. You're welcome. Anything else for Scott? All right. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. I got you. Okay. That'll do it for this week's show. Uh, we thanks you guys uh, for being patient when I get these out kind of sporadically. You know, they keep winning, we'll probably do more. Who knows? Uh, I am going on the road, on the road trip. I don't know if, yeah, I think we had mentioned that Larry and I. So I'll be in Texas for the trade deadline, and then to Tampa, and then to New York City. So, um, oh, you can hear the wind blowing there. Great. Well, uh, until then, I'll talk to you soon. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times, with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening.